0: so we are currently busy with a sermon series on the book of James and we are drawing close to the end of that so the book of James put in your faith to work today we will look at the first half of James chapter 5 which is verse 1 to 12 please turn there so long in your Bible and I'd like to ask please keep your Bible open during our time of sharing and as we reference a verse here and there as we go along, so you can immediately just pick it up and follow. I like the idea of having our Bibles open, following in a time of being around the, the word of the Lord. We know that the book of James is a very practical book. It talks into many real life issues. It talks into, hey, you must control your tongue. It talks into how to be humble. It talks about the wisdom that comes from heaven. It talks about not grumbling against one another. And so I want to remind you that as believers, we should have a love for the Word of God. And so uh, today's passage speaks quite pertinently into things that we are facing in South Africa. So buckle your seat as we go into four points that I'd like to share with you today. I encourage you to make notes if you are able to do so. And so the first point I'm just going to get into right away, and then I'll mention the scripture after that. And so with each point, we'll look at the relevant part of scripture of this passage. Point number one, listen to this point. Those who have become rich through corrupt activities are destined for misery, by the way, it could be nice if just those back screens could show me uh, what's on the board there. It was that way in the first service. Let me say that again. Those who have become rich through corrupt activities are destined for misery. Now let's read the portion of scripture that backs that up. James 5, verse 1 to 6. And by the way, these six verses, I would submit to you, are summarized in that one phrase. that Those six verses all contained in that one phrase, Essentially, It says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Isn't this a fantastic verse of scripture to encourage us on this Sunday morning? (laughs) (laughs) That's quite something to start off with. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corrupted. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. I don't really think there's a nice way of saying I thought, how can I say this as nicely as possible? But eat your flesh like fire, you can't say very nicely. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. That's not Sabbath spelt incorrectly. Sabaoth is the Hebrew word for hosts. So this is meaning that those cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 5. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, these words of James sure hit like a hammer. Do you agree? And I believe that proper New Testament churches should not only pick the nice things to preach about, we must preach the whole counsel of God. Am I right? If you're in a church, those listening to me right now, if you're in a church and all you ever hear is just all the good frilly things, I want to say to you, they might not be preaching the full counsel of God. If it's in the word of God, it should be preached from pulpits. Amen? Amen? And so this is a heart peace and i would suggest to you that it is seldom ever preached on i don't think there's a single person here that you say you know what these first six verses the favorite verses of scripture the whole bible i quote them every morning when i get up i don't think that's you come on just tell the truth and shame the devil but here james is actually acting like a prophet of social justice and it's commendable we need more prophets of social justice So James is rebuking the arrogant rich. This is not just a rich person. This is the arrogant rich. The arrogant rich person who is exploiting people. The arrogant rich person who is into self-indulgence and who is oppressing the righteous. And James is basically warning them. He said, you know what? Eventually you are actually going to meet God. And when you meet God, you will suddenly be filled with shame and remorse. That is the misery that that is coming upon you because you'll realize, oh my goodness, I have lived my life incorrectly. And you'll say, oh God, forgive me for what I have done. I haven't followed your principles. And God's, the fact is, according to scripture, there is misery, that shame and remorse That those rich people will face who have been corrupt is going to be a misery it's going to be a misery to them now specifically james mentions four cardinal sins of the rich the first one is the sin of hoarding wealth would you say the word hoarding Hoarding. the sin of hoarding wealth and the scripture to back it up is in verse three it says you have heaped up treasure I just want to make it clear there is nothing wrong with saving with being wise with putting away finances for your retirement and so on the bible even says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children but James was identifying that there were people that were living just for themselves, completely and exclusively. They were heaping up treasure. There might have been family members right around them suffering. They couldn't care, couldn't give a toot because it's my money. I'm not going to give it away. Scrooge McDuck kind of tendency. The second uh, uh, cardinal sin of the rich is acquiring wealth by failing to pay proper wages. That speaks for itself. The third cardinal sin of the rich is the sin of living in unrestrained opulence and extravagance. I believe it's wonderful to live a blessed life and have all the different things that you need, but I believe some people go beyond that, and it's unrestrained opulence and extravagance. They walk into a restaurant, they see, oh, cool, bottle of wine. 15,000 bucks. Who cares? Buy it anyway. doesn't matter. Money's no object. I'll just buy it anyway. I wonder if that's right. Verse 5 says that you have lived in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts. By the way, I don't believe that that is speaking about cholesterol. I believe it is speaking about extravagant, uh, unrestrained opulence. And then the fourth cardinal sin is the sin of destroying innocent people through the abuse of wealth. Do you realize that wealthy people, because of the power of their wealth, can make decisions which can actually be completely self-centered and suddenly 45 people are left without a job? Now I know there needs to be looking at profitability of sectors of companies and so on, but some people in those situations, they're just close down that division. 45 jobs, just gone. They couldn't care about the people that have been affected as a result of that. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it a sin to be rich? No, it's not. The Bible never says it is a sin to be rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, the Bible contains quite a number of examples of people who were very wealthy. I think of Jacob. Jacob was a man who had great wealth, and God blessed him. I think of even Solomon. He had tremendous wealth. And he was a man who had the blessing of God upon his life. One of the great examples is Abraham. Abraham had so much livestock, so many sheep and cattle and so on. He was an exceedingly blessed man. And he walked in the fear of the Lord. And so we have examples in scripture of very wealthy people. It's certainly not a sin to be rich. But the Bible also gives us many warnings about riches. There's a parable in the Bible, the parable of the sower. It's actually the parable of the soils. But in terms of the parable of the sower and the soils, it occurs in three of the Gospels. And in all three instances, it warns about the following. It warns about the deceitfulness of riches. Some people are just pursuing, even under the sound of my voice, You're obsessed with money. You're obsessed with riches. I want to warn you that according to the word, there's a deceitfulness that comes with riches. Riches can be a wonderful thing. It can be a great blessing if it's handled right. But if the people don't have the right maturity and the right attitude towards God, I want to tell you money can destroy you. There's a deceitfulness associated with riches. Riches come with danger and temptation. And you know what the main danger with riches is? The main danger is trusting in riches because you start to feel I'm quite powerful. I can live where I want. I can hire who I want fire. And, and it starts to feel like you are very powerful. And you start to trust in your riches. And you know what? It ends up becoming an idol in your life that is not pleasing to the Lord. God says you seek me first. And I will add all these things unto you. Don't seek these things first. Otherwise, you're never going to discover the pearl of great price, which is worth so much more. And I want to remind you that Jesus is the precious pearl. He is the pearl of great price. And so we should not trust in earthly riches. I want to tell you, earthly riches are short-lived. When you leave this planet, you do not take them with you. Even the virtual currencies you do not take with you. <laughs> you don't. And so rich people need to be careful of their attitude towards wealth and also of the ways in which they use it. You say, John, don't worry about me. I'm so broke, I can't even pay attention. So this must be for other people in the service today. <laughs> You never know, the Lord might cause you to become a purple, a purple person, <laughs> a person of substantial means. Now, one of the questions that we need to ask is if you're under the sound of my voice today and you're a wealthy person, and I know that we have quite a number of wealthy people in this congregation, I have seen some of the cars in this parking lot. You say, Pastor, you ain't seen mine. It don't look so good. Anyhow. All right, let me just get focused here for a moment. So, we also have some people who are very poor in our congregation. We have a large, well, well, kind of well-to-do middle working class in the congregation. But if you are a wealthy person in the congregation, may I ask you, how did you obtain your wealth? Did you obtain it through legitimate means? If so well done to you. If you didn't obtain it through legitimate means, then I wanna say to you that you need to set things in order. I think of our country, South Africa. This point is very pertinent to our country. And when I think of South Africa, there are, without a doubt, so many people that have become wealthy through corrupt activities. Am I right? We hear about it all the time. Some families, some individuals become corrupt. It's very sad that that is the case, where they would just not even care about the principles and honoring God, and they become corrupt. And you know what they say? They make the statement, they say, it's our time to eat right now. Do you think God smiles upon that? I want to tell you, Whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap. God will not be mocked. People who obtain through corrupt means, I want to tell you, they need to realize that they will reap what they have sown. It's a principle in God. I heard about a drug dealer that is evidently regularly attending our services. And that's wonderful. Not that he's dealing but that he's attending our services. (laughs) And I was just thinking about that, and, and I thought, sir, if you're in the service today, I have to say to you, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Unless you repent. God is gracious. Some people who have come out of drug addiction have seen this person. I haven't met him myself attending our services and they've said, but this oak, he's like a kingpin. He's supplying, right shotgun, the whole deal. He's supplying, what's going on? Well, I'm glad he's coming to our services. But I want to tell you today, sir, if you're in the service, I call you to repentance in Jesus' name. And you know what? God will do this wonderful thing. He will heal your life. Because God is a God of restoration. And Zacchaeus, do you know that Zacchaeus in the Bible, he was a man who obtained his wealth through illegitimate means, through corrupt means. He defrauded people. He cheated people. But I want to tell you when Zacchaeus met Jesus, his life changed totally and completely. His view on finances changed totally and completely. Because when you get a hold of Jesus truly in your heart, your values change and Jesus changes the things that you get excited about. You might have gotten excited about a good drug deal before and suddenly God changes it and God gets you excited about all altogether different things. If you'll surrender your heart to Jesus, and I want to tell you if you want to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He needs to be Lord over your business, over your family, over your finances, over every area. Because some people say, well, I'm just gonna carry on living my life and do what I want to, but in terms of my business, I'm gonna be completely corrupt, but I'm gonna worship God, no, no, no. There is hypocrisy in that. And so the wonderful thing is that Zacchaeus, his life was completely changed when he met Jesus, and the outcome was that he gave half his goods to the poor And he restored fourfold to those who he had cheated. And so this leads me to the statement, when God touches your heart, he changes your values. Tell that to the person next to you. When God touches your heart, tell them, he changes your values. Number two, the cry of the ill-treated laborer reaches heaven. Say this with me out aloud. The cry of the ill-treated laborer reaches heaven. It says in James 5, verse 4, we read it, but I want to emphasize it. It says, indeed, listen to this. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. Notice, the wages cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. I find it interesting that the cry of the laborer will reach that far. To the very ears of God. Isn't that remarkable? You know what this tells me? It tells me that God has a heart for the ordinary laborer. Society might treat them with disdain, not give them much attention. But I want to tell you that the Lord of hosts still watches over the earth. If his eyes on the sparrow, how much more is it on the laborer who is made in his image? And so let me say this statement, the way that we treat a worker really does matter. Take note of that. Scripture is backing it up today. Do you know that in the Old Testament law, employers were expected to pay their workers at the end of every day, and it had to be done before sunset. And the reason is because the workers needed the money. They couldn't go without it, and it was seen as wrong to withhold the wage from the worker. Deuteronomy 24, 15, I'll just read it to you. It says, pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they might cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, I, I believe that, uh, I would think that there are very few people here today that are withholding wages Maybe you are, and I encourage you to set that right, but there may be other people here and you are not paying a laborer in your company or somebody who works in your home, perhaps a gardener, a domestic helper. You are not paying them adequately. And I want to say that according to Scripture, God even notices what you are paying your laborers. And so we need to make sure that we pay our laborers adequately. If you're in a company and who knows, maybe you run a cleaning company and there's 10 or 12 staff in the company, I want to tell you, it matters to God that you pay them adequately. It is necessary. But in addition to payment, do they have decent working conditions? Do you give them the required amount of leave that they're entitled to? Also, a question is, Do you limit their hours to the employment act, basic conditions of employment act? Or do you expect them to work way over time and you don't even pay them and so on? I want to tell you, if that's the case, it's unrighteous. And I believe that some of an aspect of the problems that we've seen in South Africa is because some people have exploited others who, who... who are desperate for work, and they'll work for anything because they're so desperate they just want to fill their tummies. And I want to tell you, South Africa, God wants to heal our nation, and these are some of the aspects that need to come right. It's Just a case of if the cap fits, wear it. If you are paying adequately and giving a, a good and a fair wage, well done to you. But it is very important. I was thinking of this thing of the national minimum wage. There was a lot of controversy Controversy when that came out, the national minimum wage. I want to tell you, I support what the government did in that regard. I think it was very good. Because imagine for the many people that were being paid far less, now they are obliged to pay more, which is at least a reasonable sort of living wage. Some people say it's not nearly enough, but it's better than many people were being paid. And I thought thought this to myself. Could it be that that was implemented... Because the cries of the laborers reached heaven. It could be the hand of God. And oftentimes we criticize government for many things that they're not doing, but I believe that we should commend them for what they are doing in that regard. Won't you give that government a hand? Come on. And it says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 18, it says, The laborer is worthy of his hire. Say that. The laborer is worthy of his hire. So may we be doing what is right in God's sight in this regard. Point number three. Are you still with me? Good. Point number three. Let us exercise patience and endurance as we await the coming of Jesus. This is beautiful. There is a very strong emphasis in our passage today in James concerning patient endurance as we are waiting for Jesus to return. Now, following your Bibles, please, we're looking at uh, verse 7 to 11. Gerald, where's your Bible? I see it's disappeared. Okay. Forgive him, Lord. How long has it been since your last confession, Gerald? I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. So, verse 7 to 11, it says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts. I like that. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and then seen the, in, the end intended by the Lord. And I love this phrase, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I want to tell you, that's the God that I serve, a God who is very compassionate and merciful. So here James gives this excellent illustration of the farmer and so he says listen it doesn't work in the following way where the farmer plants on the one day and then the next day he expects to receive a harvest it doesn't work like that but he says the farmer he patiently waits there's quite a waiting period until the harvest comes and you know what it's the same sir ma'am in your walk with the lord From the time when the seed of God is sown within you till the time when ultimately you see Jesus face to face, there's a long time in between, and we are being encouraged regarding patient endurance. James also points to the prophets, and I think of prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and the wonderful examples they set for us. Can you think of the prophet Daniel as he was in the lion's den? Folks, he endured. There are so many, let me just remind you, there are so many examples in the Bible of people who went ahead of us and endured. Imagine if you were the first person to ever have to live the life in Christ and you had no examples. I want to tell you, value the examples that you see in the word of God. And then in our passage, it also directs it to Job. Now, come on, Job. I mean, that's a hardcore example Job is one of the best examples, and despite his hardship, listen to this, he never cursed God. Despite all that he lost, he never turned away from God. And in the end, he was rewarded, and God gave him twice as much as he had before. And so, basically... James is talking to you today. Even although the scripture was written many years ago, I want to say God wants to apply his word right into your heart now. And God is wanting to say to you today, my son and daughter, would you patiently endure and wait for me? Because I said I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come for you. That where I am, there you may be also. <coughs> Excuse me. And so God is encouraging you to patiently endure. Excuse me. He's encouraging you to patiently endure. Now, may I ask you, how are you doing in terms of this? Are you enduring patiently? It's wonderful if you are. But I also want to say this. What is the opposite of patient endurance? Giving up. (coughs) Excuse me. And God doesn't want us to give up. No, not at all. Recently, I—it was the beginning of August. I was reading uh, on Instagram one very well-known Hillsong worship leader. I won't mention his name, but he basically indicated that he's pretty much thinking of giving up on his faith. He said the following. On Instagram, he said, I'm genuinely losing my faith. And it doesn't bother me. It's not for me. Christianity just seems like another religion at this point. And I thought to myself, this is very, very sad. This man had written many of the well known Hillsong anthems if I'm not mistaken, the first one that we sung today called I Believe, I Believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, he wrote that song, if I'm not mistaken. And sadly, he's come to a place where he kind of just wants to throw in the towel. But you know what? The reason is because he began to lose his patient endurance. He needed to read this passage from James and let faith arise in his heart again. But I want to say to you that you and I need to guard against that. Guard against losing your patient endurance. When you feel like, I just feel like throwing in the towel. I'm just too tired of trusting God. You know what? You go trust God again. And by the way, for this worship leader, I pray that his faith would not fail him. Even though he said all of these crazy things. You know, Jesus said to Peter, the enemy has sought to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail you. And so we agree together that that worship leader will come back running to God, never to doubt again in the name of Jesus. Amen. But if you hear under the sound of my voice today and you felt like giving up lately, I want to say, please don't give up. You might be here, you've told nobody. Nobody knows that you're wanting to give up on your faith. Nobody knows, maybe not even your spouse. But I want to say, please, don't give up on your faith. Because your confidence in God will produce great and eternal rewards. This is eternity that we are speaking about, child of God. Amen. Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up. And let these words from Hebrews Breathe faith into your spirit today. It's uh, on your screen, Hebrews 10, verse 35 to 39. I'll just read it. It's in the New Living Translation. If you've been struggling with your faith, let faith come now by the hearing of the word. Listen to what the Bible says. So, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings your soul. Patient endurance. Say those two words. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like the ones who turn away from God to their own destruction We are the faithful ones. Don't you love that? A declaration over you. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. If you've been struggling with your faith, I encourage you in the next week or two, meditate on that over and over again. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you will be strengthened with mighty power by your spirit on the inner man. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, say this after me. By By God's grace, I will be faithful. I will not turn away. My soul will be saved. And I'll enjoy eternal rewards. Amen. The last point, which is a brief one. Point number four. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Please say that with me. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. This is biblical. You think, well, why is this so important? Let's look at it. James 5 verse 12 says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. I want to tell you some of these people that swear by this and swear by that and swear by the next thing, I want to tell you that your words are powerful and you can bring yourself into bondage through the vows that you've made straight out of your mouth. Be careful what you say. By the way, have you noticed on television in general, but also quite a lot on reality TV programs, how they say things like this, I, I swear to you. Or they say, I swear to God. And that they're trying to convince the person that, that's in the program or on the reality you know, program, trust me because you know, you know, it's not enough to just say yes to them. They just, no, no, I, I swear, you know. Some people go even further, and I've seen this sometimes on Survivor, people take it even a little bit further, and they say things like, I swear on my child's life. Or they say, I I swear on my mother's grave. You can trust me. We're going to vote together. Do you really want to say that? Let me say to you, as children of God, you are better than that. As a child of God, you are a righteous person. We shouldn't say things like that. Even if everybody else is talking about, I swear this, that, and the next thing, you know what? It is unbecoming for the child of God to talk like that. You and I are called to be different. I want to remind you, you are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, and you're a people belonging to God. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so it's very important that we do what God's Word says Just that verse again, verse 12, now in the message translation, it says, don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. And so realize this, as Christians, we don't need to call on anything or anybody in heaven or on earth to back up what we say by this or by that or i swear by this or that or the next thing people should know through your character that they can trust you and somebody asks you something it's just a simple yes and they should trust you based on your character it's a yes or it's a no and i want to say the reason why this is important Some people can make all sorts of vows and oaths and so on. And you know what? At the end of the day, you can bring your life into bondage. God doesn't want you in bondage. He wants you free. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let me quickly recap. We've said four things today. Those who've become rich through corrupt activities are destined for misery unless they repent. Secondly, we said... The cry of the ill-treated laborer reaches heaven. Thirdly, we said, let us exercise patience and endurance as we await the coming of Jesus. And lastly, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Have you received the word of the Lord today? Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand of praise? Hallelujah. Stand with me and let's pray together. Would you stand? Father. I want to thank you today specifically that your word talks into so many relevant and pertinent issues. And we say, Lord, we are committed to being Bible believers and Bible obeyers, doers of the word. Lord, we surrender our lives to you. We say, not our will, but yours be done. Not our ideas, but your plans for our lives because your plans are so much better and so much greater. I pray, Lord, as we go out into this week that we would live as people who are more Christ-like because we hide the word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. I thank you for victory, Lord, in this place. And now I just bless your people. I say the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his smile upon you. And give you peace. And all God's people say aloud. Amen. 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 God bless you everybody. We'll see you next time.